Do you enjoy waiting? Do you count it all joy when you call customer service about your phone bill or your cable and internet plan? You hear that automated voice that answers the call and tells you you are number 273 in line and your estimated wait time is somewhere between two hours and two months. But don't fret because immediately that automated voice also tells you that your call is very important to them. It's easy to laugh or perhaps cry about incessant waiting. But waiting can also be beautiful. There's a glorious beauty to the athlete who strains and strives in years of training to reach the pinnacle of his or her sport and to accomplish their goals that they have waited for. There's a glorious beauty to the scientist who labors for a lifetime seeking that breakthrough that will cure a disease or be a new breakthrough in technology. And those labors eventually prove worthwhile. I think that what we see about waiting is that there is a rich sense of wonder or a comical sense of dread and fatalism depending on the object that is waited for. Seen in the appropriate light, waiting is magnificently splendid. And Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 40, tells us of the culmination of a lifetime of waiting for two people. An older man named Simeon and an older woman named Anna. And as we journey through this text, we will find that Jesus not only fulfills the longings of Simeon and Anna's hearts as they have waited, but Jesus who has come fulfills the waiting that our hearts find themselves in. I invite you to follow along as I read from Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 40. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. 
she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. May God write the truths of His Word and the grace of His Son, Jesus Christ, upon our hearts. Jesus is the salvation that is anticipated by Israel, dedicated to the nations, and celebrated by all who wait on Him. That is what I believe this passage shows us. Let me repeat this. Jesus is the salvation anticipated by Israel, dedicated to the nations, and celebrated by all who wait on Him. As we begin to traverse our way through this passage, let us first, beginning in verse 22, see how Jesus is the salvation anticipated by Israel. Following the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they bring the just a few weeks old baby Jesus. They bring him to Jerusalem that he might be presented at the temple as was the custom in Israel. This custom was instituted after the Passover. If you remember the early pages of the, of the, of the book of Exodus, the people of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt and the Lord God worked powerfully for their deliverance. He brought plagues upon Israel or excuse me, upon Egypt while protecting Israel. And then the final plague upon Egypt would be the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. But the firstborn sons of Israel would be spared if a lamb was sacrificed, if the blood was spread on the doorposts of homes. And after this, the custom of the people of Israel dedicating their firstborn sons to the Lord began. You see this in verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's just quoting from Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. Now, I want you to see something. As we make our way through these early parts of Luke 2, 22 to 40, there's something we should lock our minds on. There's something that should help us get situated in the historical uh, uh, goings-on with Mary and Joseph and their family and within the greater context of the people of Israel and, their faithful, and, and Mary and Joseph and their faithful obedience as Israelites to the Old Testament law. You see this in verses 22, 23, 24, and 27. You see repeated references to them keeping to the law of the Lord. I just read from verse 22, when the time of their purification came, what? According to the law of Moses. And then verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And then if you were to jump down to verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said, what? In the law of the Lord. And then if you were to jump down all the way to verse 27, it tells us the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Luke is placing Jesus right in the history 
and write in the customs of the people of Israel. And now the question we would ask is, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with our hearts as we march towards Christmas 2022, some 2,000 years plus after Simeon encountered this family in the temple? Well, we see that this isn't just to learn or know that we might have historical facts written in our heads, but Luke intends for us to feel, for us to behold this baby who has come, this Jesus who is the salvation of Israel. And he brings Simeon on the scene, or he records Simeon coming on the scene. This is eyewitness account. He records Simeon on the scene that we might feel and hear the words of Simeon. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous. He was devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so we're getting the facts, and then we get Simeon to help us understand, to help us to feel. Now why do we need Simeon's reaction to this? Why? Because every single one of us, in the turbulence of life, faces the question of whether or not we will believe that God is good, and whether or not we will believe that God is faithful to His people. And let me just share with you, as your pastor, my ambition week by week is to remind you that God is faithful and that He is good to His people. Week by week, I want to do my best to take your hands, to re-secure your hands to the grips of God's goodness and His commitment to His people. Seven days a week, your, your, your fingers start to get tired. They start to let go. I want to try to help you re-see that goodness and that faithfulness. And Simeon helps us in this, in this passage. And so how does he help us to see the goodness, the faithfulness of God? Well, he does so by showing us that Jesus was the anticipated salvation of Israel. And so what God's Word does is it helps to ground our souls in Jesus who is far greater so that when our trials look big, we can turn to Jesus and see that He is infinitely bigger than whatever trial perplexes or dismays us. So how do we see the bigness of Jesus? The the, the greatness, the splendor of this Jesus who was anticipated by the people of Israel? Well, there's much throughout this passage, but I want to just take a couple of things. As we've already referenced in verses 22 and 23, Jesus was set apart by His parents, belonging to God like the firstborn uh, uh, Jewish child would be. And this began a life of service to God, wholly devoted to Him. This began a life of perfect righteousness and obedience. And so Christian, when you were downtrodden over the conviction and the weight of your own sins, you not only look to Jesus' death on the cross to atone for those sins, but first you look at Jesus' life of obedience and total, complete righteousness before God the Father, and you see that His righteousness, His perfect righteousness, is credited to your account. Do you realize that Jesus, in coming to earth, this is one reason why He was not, He did not just enter through some kind of portal as a fully grown man and say, okay, which way is the cross? I have an appointment there for Friday at 2. No, He came as a baby, 
And then he lived his life in perfect obedience to the Father. And so for the Christian, your hope and my hope is not just in Jesus dying for our sins, but it is in his perfect righteousness that is credited to us. This is our union with Christ. He bore our sins on the cross. We get his righteousness. This is what Martin Luther called God's great exchange. Now, Jesus not only lived this life entirely set apart to God the Father, but Jesus' parents sacrificed a pair of turtle doves or pigeons. These sacrifices um, foretell sacrifices that would be made for sins on the part of the people to put themselves back in right standing with God. Now, there's a little nugget thrown in here where turtle doves or pigeons are mentioned. These are sacrificed... The instructions to sacrifice turtle doves or pigeons were given to the poorest of the poor in Israel. This gives us an insight into the economic state of Mary and Joseph. They could not afford a greater offering, but with a little foreshadowing of atonement for sin that is still to come, as well as a reminder of the poverty that Jesus was born into. Once again, remember, born to a young virgin girl, placed in a manger, born to a seemingly poor family. He lived this humble life all the way to the ultimate act of humiliation and desecration, His cross. And so we look at the life and we look at the death of Christ foretold in, here, in this. And Simeon helps us to see the wonder of the baby who has come. We learn here that Simeon is older in age. He was righteous. He was devout in service to God. The Holy Spirit of God is at work in him. And as verse 25 says, look at what Simeon was doing. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of language that we don't really use a whole lot today. Well, think of that word consolation. Think of it. It's the same word from which we get comfort. Waiting for the comfort of Israel. Waiting for relief from suffering. Waiting for rescue. If you remember Israel's fairly more recent history leading up to the Gospels, some 580, 600 years prior, they were invaded by Babylon. They were exiled out of their homeland, enduring great loss, enduring great shame, enduring families ripped apart, generations removed from their homeland. Eventually, they were able to return home, and then they began to rebuild. But as we reach Jesus' day, Israel is now occupied by the Roman Empire. Israel as a nation was tired, was exhausted, was worn out. And Simeon embodied this tired, worn out nature of the people of Israel. But Simeon shows us a hope that is waiting the consolation or the comfort of God. If you want to make note of it in your Bible, this is a direct echo. These, this word, this phrase, consolation of Israel, it's a direct echo from Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 2. The promise of God to His tired, worn-out people will be fulfilled. I'm going to read it in just a moment. But we have to bring this not only to just seeing it with Israel, but we have to bring it to today. So let me ask you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted, perplexed, bogged down, dismayed? Confused? Downtrodden? Part of the grace gift of Jesus who came is that He offers to be your comfort. He is our consolation and peace. If you've seen the miniseries, it was produced about 20 years ago, by Band of Brothers, or called Band of Brothers, 
It features the story of Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division. From jump training as they prepare to, for D-Day and then to D-Day, entering World War II and then traversing through the European theater on the way to defeating the Nazis. It's about 12 hours following Easy Company, all the way from pre-D-Day to victory. And one of the most poignant scenes of the whole 12 hours is near the end. Some, I think, if, if I'm remembering correctly, some 300 to 400 days after D-Day. These men having never, not gotten to return home yet, the only ones who had returned home had either returned home because they were severely injured or word had gotten home that they had passed due to injuries in war. But these men who are still there, one of the most poignant scenes is, is they're playing baseball on a field in Europe. The Nazis have been defeated. They're awaiting orders to be sent to the Pacific Theater. But then Colonel Winters arrives and gathers the troops around, and he tells them that President Truman had received the unconditional surrender of the Japanese. He says, yes, the war is over. And you see the comfort just wash over these tired, worn-out soldiers' faces. Jesus is the message that the war is over for you and I. That the strivings may cease. That there is an expiration date on the agony that torments your soul. Jesus is God breaking through the barriers of our sin and our hardened world and pronouncing an end to the war of our own soul's distrust and inability to rest in Him. Listen to Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 2. This is God promising comfort. God says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This reveals to us how Jesus is the salvation anticipated by Israel. But as we see Simeon, this Jewish man, rejoice in the Messiah or the Lord's Christ, as he is referred to here, we see him also start to rejoice in something that is quite interesting. And that takes us to the next part of our sermon. Jesus is not only the salvation anticipated by Israel, but he is the salvation dedicated to the nations. We see this up to verse 35. Now, it would perhaps be fascinating or even interesting to see Jesus' relationship to Israel and, and see this through a historical lens that just, okay, further information, further facts that I know that I didn't know a few hours prior and, okay, helps me to understand, uh, uh, you know, history and, and uh, religions and Judaism and, and how Jesus was this Messiah and all of this. But what would that have for those of us who are not Jewish? What would it have for us who are Gentiles? Well, look at Simeon. He takes this little baby Jesus in his arms and he blesses God and he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And then he says, look at this in verses 31 and 32, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Do you see how beauty, beautiful Simeon's praise is here? He holds the baby Jesus in his arms and he rejoices that his eyes have seen God's salvation. He has not come to intellectual acceptance of these truth claims, but he sits with his eyes upon his salvation. And that salvation is God in the flesh. This baby Jesus. And so I want to pause and ask each of us today. Perhaps you consider yourself a Christian or perhaps you aren't sure. Whatever your spiritual background, this is a question that I have asked myself this week leading up to this. Do you know Jesus? Be careful in listening how I ask this. I do not ask, do you know about Jesus? But I ask, do you know Jesus? Do you commune with Him in prayer? Does your heart rejoice in His Word? Not do you know about Him, but do you know Him? Not do you know about Christianity, but do you know the Christ of Christianity? Last week while performing Patrick and Katie's wedding, as myself and Patrick and his groomsmen and were, were standing up here and the bridesmaids were walking down and I, was, I just kind of was whispering a couple of things to Patrick, keeping things light. And then I hear the music begin for Katie to enter. And I'm a little slow sometimes, but I knew it was at that point that I needed to be quiet. Patrick was not concerned with what I was going to be saying at that moment. He was ready to see his bride come down the aisle. His mind was not consumed with, there were many great things about that day, but his mind was not consumed with thinking about, oh, look at all the wonderful family that is here. Or the friends who bring us such joy. He was not thinking, you know, I look good in this tuxedo. He was not looking forward to the meal that he would have later in the day. He was not looking forward to, to uh, the, the dancing and the fun. No, he wasn't even looking forward to the fact that I will, I will be legally married in just a few moments. No, his mind was set upon the one that was coming down the aisle. His heart is rejoicing in this one whom he would marry. And the person that he would be united to, his bride. Sometimes I worry that far too many who profess to be followers of Christ are like ones who are at the wedding, but they're there for the festivities. And they have not encountered, not the bride, but Christ who is the groom who has come. Oh, that our hearts would be rejoicing in Jesus. That He would not just be a proposition, something that we find true, that Christianity would not be something that we say, okay, I think that this ultimately jibes with my worldview. No, no, no. You see, Christianity is something that we investigate, that we carefully consider, that we even scrutinize the claims of Christianity and of God's Word. Christianity must be able to hold its own in the marketplace of ideas 
but for the fact that we don't check our minds at the door, the magnificence of Christianity is not that it is where we find truth, but it is not only that we find truth in Christianity, but our hearts find that which they yearn for, namely Jesus himself, God in the flesh. The peace that your heart desires amidst the troubles of this life, Jesus calms those waters of despair. The sin that cripples your conscience and torments you as an unwelcome visitor from both your past and even your present, Jesus takes those upon Himself as He goes to the cross and tells you that He has borne it and you will not. The anxiety that you carry over the future that wakes you up and exhausts you during the day, Jesus carries these burdens and promises you Himself. And let me resume reading this. And before I read, actually, before I read these verses again, maybe if you're bored by it, maybe if you're disinterested by it, maybe if, maybe if you're, 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 you're just not in tune with it, pray that God would give you the grace even right now to see the spectacular glory of Jesus revealed in what His coming meant as told to us by Simeon. Verse 27, And He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for Him according to the custom of the law, He took Him up in His arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now You are letting Your servant depart in peace according to Your Word. For my eyes have seen Your salvation, that You are prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to Your people Israel. Remember, we covered Jesus is the salvation anticipated by Israel. But now verse 32 tells us that He is the salvation dedicated to the nations or to Gentiles. These words are a direct allusion from Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 49, if you want to make note of this and go read it later today, this is perhaps maybe one of the most spectacular chapters in all the Bible. In Isaiah 49, it features uh, the words of God the Father as He's telling through the prophet Isaiah, God the Son, what He will accomplish in Him. Just listen to these words from Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant, to bring, back Jacob, to bring Jacob back to Him, that Israel might be gathered to Him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. This is Jesus talking. And then He says, God the Father says in verse 6, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you hear that? We have the temptation that we might view history and we might view it just in this linear fashion where, okay, Jesus fulfills what the Old Testament has been anticipating in the Messiah, in the Christ. Jesus comes, He fulfills it. But what God says is not only that, but I'm turning this history on its end and it actually pops in 3D. 
And it reveals that He is not just the one that, that Israel is looking towards, but He is the salvation that reaches to the ends of the earth, dedicated to all peoples, to all nations. And this is where we are brought into this miracle of the birth of Jesus. This is where we go from observers to participants, praying, yearning that God would churn up this sense of Simeon-like wonder in Jesus who has come. We're brought to the miracle of the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the reign of Jesus. These are not news from a faraway land spoken in a language of our own that we have to hear translated to us. No, these are present realities that compel us out of darkness and into the light of the life who has come. And these promises not only shed light upon our hearts, but they give light to us as we share with others in our evangelism, in missions, sharing the gospel, that God, knowing that as we share with others, that God is in the business of spreading His light, of bringing life from death, light from darkness. Now, far too, you might feel like far too often I'm, I'm grasping around in the darkness. How do I walk into this light? How do I know this Jesus? How do I anchor myself to Him and not let go? How do I live in the light? You look to Jesus the baby who became Jesus the man who became Jesus the crucified Lord. Follow along in verse 33 and following. After this great prophecy by Simeon, it continues, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus did not come to be a totem or a good luck charm. He came to sift and to separate those who worship God and those who, did not, and, and those who do not worship God. And he does this through his cross. This is what is referenced here. These verses reference the cross. Some will rise via Jesus' death in their place. Some will fall via their opposition to Jesus and their rejection of him. Simeon tells even Mary in that parenthetical in verse 35, even her own heart would know heartache like a sword piercing her soul as she would watch the crucifixion of her son. But in the cross, at the end of verse 35, tells us so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The cross of Jesus reveals our hearts and whether we have walked from the dark to the light or whether we still lurk in the shadows. Either I have forsaken the darkness of my own sin, my own rejection of Him, my disinterest in Him being the Lord over my life, Him being the boss and entirely surrendered to Him, or I am still in darkness, trying to pull the covers over my eyes and telling this Jesus that He is welcome as long as He plays by my rules. But the baby who came, who Simeon rejoiced over, did not come to play by your rules or by mine. He came that He might open our eyes from darkness to light. That He might breathe new life into our hearts. 
by showing us our great need for Him and showing us His great love for us. So Jesus is the salvation anticipated by Israel. He's the salvation dedicated not only to Israel, but to the nations, to you and I. And lastly, Jesus is the salvation celebrated by all who wait for Him. In verse 36, we meet another figure. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we meet a second figure here. We've had Simeon, we've had Anna now. Both of them, many similarities between the two of them. Older in age, waiting on the Lord. Waiting that He will see His purposes for His people through. We know it and we're not going to let go of that promise. I want to let you in on a little inside baseball about sermon preparation and study. Things that go into preaching week by week. As I study a passage each week, I want to make sure to preach to you what the author of the text originally intended for his audience. I want to make sure to get that right. Because if I'm not, I'm just hijacking the text and using it for my own purposes. And so I really wrestled over this text. Here's what I mean, and this can help us all in our own Bible study as we seek to understand our Bibles better. You read through this, the, host, the, the, the whole of this passage, and, and sometimes you can pick up themes of what's being shown, and sometimes it's a little harder, or you get multiple themes. So I'm reading through the passage, trying to get the idea, and I'm seeing Simeon, I'm seeing Anna, I'm seeing they've waited on the Lord, but I'm also seeing all these references to the Old Testament law and the ways that Jesus fulfilled this and the prophecy that Simeon pronounced over Jesus. So I'm wrestling with, is the big idea here what Simeon says... Or is the big idea the waiting being fulfilled, the waiting of Simeon and Anna being fulfilled? Do you get that? You see the difference there? Is it the pronouncement that Simeon makes over Jesus? Or is it that God is faithful to see his purposes through as he answers the waiting of Simeon and Anna? And I wrestle over this, and I wrestle over this, and then I realize the answer is both. The answer to our waiting is is the one that Simeon tells us about. And the answer to the one that Simeon tells us about is to wait on Him and to know that God will remain faithful to His people. And so remember, even if you're dating back, as you're trying to understand what a passage means and and trying to study through a book of the Bible, remember what, what... This book was originally dedicated to Theophilus way back in Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. And why did he write this? He wrote this to Theophilus that he may know, that he may have certainty about the things that he had been taught. Theophilus Theophilus had learned and heard that Jesus was the Christ. Well, Luke is going to say, I interviewed the eyewitnesses, and I want you to know what they were saying. Yes, he is the Christ. And Theophilus, no matter what you go through in life as a Christian, you can wait on him. 
Not only can you wait on Him, but He is the salvation who is celebrated by all who do wait on Him. You've heard me say this before, but Christianity is a religion or a faith system or whatever you want to call it of waiting. We wait. We wait upon our Lord. We wait upon His sanctifying grace in our lives. We wait in prayer. We wait in song. We don't wait because He's unfaithful. We wait with hope because He is faithful. And so, we don't just wait on nebulous Jesus who's out there with the same authority as a fortune cookie or a magic eight ball. But we wait on this Jesus revealed to us in His Word. We wait by trusting Him. We wait by knowing Jesus more and more through studying His Word. We wait by praying. We wait by communing regularly with the people of God. As a people, we help one another to do what? To wait. When we share prayer requests with one another, when we say, I'm having a hard time with fill in the blank, would you pray with me? We want to pray. We want to lift up those requests. But in another sense, we are, we are asking one another. We may not realize it, but we're saying, would you pray for me? Help me to wait on the Lord. And Simeon and Anna show us that God sees, that God cares, and God meets His people who wait. Now, dear senior adults in our church family, you have so much that you can teach us about waiting. The more advanced you are in years, the more years you've waited. Oh, that you would set an example for your brothers and sisters who are younger than you in the faith of waiting on the Lord like Simeon and Anna. In fact, you see that, that our, our, our last years, our retirement years, our, our, our senior years, they are not meant for twiddling our thumbs. But there is faithful service to the Lord. In fact, if you take Jesus out of these early pages of the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of a big, he's the big one, so, but if you take him out and you just survey the rest of the characters, you realize four of the six central characters in the Gospel of Luke to this point have been senior adults who were actively, faithfully trusting in the Lord. Simeon and Anna and Zechariah and Elizabeth, way back in Luke 1. Just because you're up there in age, You're not out there in usefulness to God. So may God help us to wait well. Would you help us? Model for us waiting joyfully. Simeon and Anna aren't sitting there saying, man, Rome has really worn this place out. What are the authorities doing? They weren't growing bitter with the world. They were growing hopeful in the God in whom they waited. And dear Christian, all of us, Do you realize that waiting, yearning, this is a great entranceway to our evangelism and sharing the gospel with those who do not know our Lord? As you hear a coworker or a loved one sharing their pain or sharing their heartache, we want to empathize with them. But we can tell them that there is a place, there is a person who meets their sorrow, who meets the anticipation that they feel of broken dreams in this life that have fallen apart, a, a, a Savior who comes who meets them and binds up their hearts. And they may not realize it, but He is the one that they are waiting for.
So as we wait, we set our eyes on the one that we wait upon. Verses 39 and 40 conclude just telling us of Mary and Joseph performing everything according to the law of the Lord and then returning to Galilee. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Waiting is not easy. But Jesus is the salvation celebrated by all who do wait. With their eyes and their hearts glued to Him. And for those of us, as we wait, each of us, as we wait, we can hear these words, these testimonies from one further down the road than us. From Simeon. Simeon, who rejoiced as he held that baby and said, My eyes have seen your salvation. We can wait knowing that one day our eyes will see this salvation. But it will be our Lord Jesus who we will not hold in our arms. But we have the benefit this side of his cross, this moment of his reign over us. We have the benefit of knowing that when we see Him and we say, my eyes see your salvation, that we will come to realize that it was Him that was holding us in His arms as we waited. And how are we secured in that waiting? We know everything we can about Him who came. He's the one that is the salvation anticipated by Israel, the salvation dedicated to the nations, the salvation celebrated by all who wait on Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we join our hearts with Simeon and Anna, waiting, rejoicing, prayerfully seeing Jesus who has come, Knowing He is a person that we know, that we worship, that we treasure, through whom we enter into the light of Your grace. Help us, Lord, to wait with hearts guarded and kept by You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.